Where you gonna go? Where you gonna run? Where you gonna hide? Nowhere. Cause there's no one like you left. Just America's most pervasive podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and yeah, sometimes I hide my feelings, but that doesn't mean I don't have them. I'm the tentacle man, Ben Sheep. Hi, I'm Ooh. Cleveland Mosier, and I'm underage. Stay away from me. <laughs> Yikes, you shouldn't be on this podcast then. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, this is our five-year podiversary. We've been doing this show for five years, four years with this lineup. Cleveland joined right after our first podiversary. So we thought, what would be a good original versus remake in the year of the sequel? Well, why not do a sequel to our podiversary a couple of years ago where we covered Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Well, this time we're covering Body Snatchers, yep. the 1993 remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, by, by Abel Ferrara uh, with a, a legend. Legend, Abel Ferrara, yeah, with a uh, screenplay by Larry Cohen, uh, and also Stuart Gordon, um, who I saw was originally slated to direct this before they got Abel Ferrara. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is the, uh, it is basically the same story that we all know and love of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, except uh, this one is uh, a little smaller scale, I guess. Uh, instead of taking place in, like, a town or a city, it's set on a military base. It says it's a military base in Alabama uh, on IMDb, but uh, there's a distinct lack of roll tides in this movie, so I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I believe that. I will say, having this in a military base makes so much sense for the, the concept of the pod people, giving your individuality up for kind of the collective. Like, that's just a setting that makes so much sense with the military. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, I, I, I liked that a lot. Um, especially, too, because it it sort of makes it difficult to tell, like, who is a pod person and who is not. Because there's so many of the characters already have that uh, militaristic rigidity and discipline. So they kind of uh, seem like pod people to begin with. Yeah. I think they do a really good job in this movie in general of rather than having a lot of exposition telling you what's going on, which, you know, happens a lot in both the 50s and the 70s version. uh, This one unfolds very visually. Mm, Um, Yeah, we we discover a lot of the the unnerving replacements through visuals and subtle elements. And I think it works really well for that. Yeah, yeah we well, see we see a lot more in this one, I think, than we do in past ones. There's a few things that I really liked on paper with this movie. There's a lot I liked in Execution, too. But um, one thing I thought was a little interesting, uh, mentioning subtlety, is there's, there's a small factor at the top that I thought could have been more subtly laid out but I still really liked it on paper. And that's that in her opening narration, Marty tells us that her parents were divorced 
And so she's she's on her way to this base with her 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 dad, her stepmom, and her stepbrother. And I forget exactly how she words it into the into the the narration, but she specifically says that you know having to live with this person who replaced her mom with the woman who replaced my mother yeah yeah, yeah. Her, her mother her mother died when she was young and her father remarried and then her dad and her stepmom had another baby so it's them and her half brother yeah and i really like that uh thematically you know for obvious reasons i wish they hadn't opened with her just saying it outright. I feel like it was it's just it's a little ham fisted. I could have enjoyed that more as like a theme, you know, sort of played up as opposed to just being like, look at the theme, you know? I think I could have done without the narration, the book ending narration in general. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It it didn't it didn't ruin it or anything, but it is I did think it was a little bit clunky. Yeah, it works a little bit in that it kind of reminded me of uh, Apocalypse Now. It reminded me, it gave me like kind of Apocalypse Now vibes. You know, because it's on a military base, you just got that narration, and like, it it kind of works. You know, it has that like military movie kind of vibe, even though she isn't military. Like, a lot of those like war films have those types of like opening, like bookend narrations. And considering like the setting, it, it sort of worked for me in that respect, but I just, I just wish it hadn't been a little heavy handed. Well, yeah, you you mentioned something, too, that I also really liked, is that their family isn't military themselves. They're going to the military base because her dad works for the EPA, and he's there to, like, inspect their storage of, like, some toxic chemicals and make sure that, like, there's no risk of, like, it getting into, like, the water or whatever, something like that. So, like, they're on this military base, but they're not themselves military. And I love that, like, the house that they're living in is just kind of, like, one of those standard, like, cookie-cutter military base apartments that sort of feels like a simulacrum of a home but isn't really i feel like that works really nicely with the whole theme of like replacement and creatures that are trying to look like people but aren't really you know yeah and it it really brought home this cool idea for me and it's it's like how each one of the movies since the beginning each one of these movies has essentially been a different story during the same event, right? Like, somewhere else on the planet, what's happening over here? And it allows us to tell a different story each time with this same narrative uh, in, in a really cool way, you know, where it's not like, oh, it's all an interconnected universe or multiverse or whatever bullshit like that. It's, a, it's just a very simple, like, okay, what's happening? So we know that this invasion happens. How does it go in Maryland? You know, how does it go in California? And and we get to see, like, all these different things. How does it happen on a military base? Because it's such a unique thing. Like, it's not just, like, a zombie infection, right? Like, it's, 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 so, it's so much more, like, insidious and, 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 uh, and rich than that. So there's a lot of cool opportunities. I really like that about the 70s one, and I really like that about this one, too. On top of that, you know, all three movies are really kind of a reflection of the fears of the time the the 90s was kind of the explosion of the gulf war era but also like uh abel ferrar really smartly kind of adds kind of a an overt sexuality to this movie you know and this was kind of uh 
a second wave of uh, sort of free love era in the 90s with, you know, the uh, the video porn era and whatnot and uh, kind of the fears of kind of promiscuousness and openness comes out in that stuff a bit. Oh, very um, much. Think, yeah, um, in a big way. We'll definitely have to talk about that. Yeah, and I think uh, it works really well as kind of a 90s take on body snatchers because it kind of reflects a lot of those uh, things. And, you know, the movie overall feels very 90s in terms of its grunginess and yes. kind of nihilism. But, you know, for as as 90s as it feels, and it does, um, what I loved is it still paid homage in the use of lighting like not a lot but there's a couple of sequences where um you get those those wonderful like interior shots where like there's like a bluish kind of night light nighttime lighting sort of coming in through the slatted smoky shades um that that feels like those blue alleyway shots in the 70s movie um and it it felt almost in the same world Still, even though it was like several decades later, it felt right, and like, and, and and I think that's a great way to pay homage is like paying homage, like in some aspects of the cinematography, um, without being too overt. And again, it's still feeling like a product of the '90s, in in all the best ways. Like the grain is really swimmy. Like it, the movie looks great. Like I think it holds up really well, and. None of these things I were I, I I went in expecting. I was expecting this to be like a cringy '90s adaptation of a much better film, and was really pleasantly surprised. I was wanted to ask you guys, what did you think of? Uh, you know, in the first two movies, our main character was like an adult man, and in this one, it is kind of a teenage girl. And uh, what what did you guys think of like changing the 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 lead focus? I'm still kind of spiraling in on my final opinion of that. I think talking through this on the podcast will help, but I have, I have opinions. <laughs> um, my name on the, like going into this as a joke uh, is part of that. Um, like when Marty is, goes on the date with the chopper pilot and she comes back and her dad sees him dropping her off and he approaches her and he says don't you know she's underage and i looked and i and i just kind of like looked at him looked at her and looked back and was like no she's not <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here with that like and it's that same thing and like and normally big asterisk on this normally i i would have like a really big problem with that in movie not a big problem i, I it's not like a, a soapbox topic for me but I, I brought it up before where like you have, like, overage actors playing underage characters, and it can muddy the waters, and usually, like, in a, a way that's not intended, or in a way that is, like, unintentionally creepy, right? Mm -hmm. We're, like, we're sort of taking weird steps to sort of, like, over-sexualize or, like, hyper-sexualize minors, and, like, it doesn't really make any sense, like, in certain contact in most contexts. Like, with, like, like high school students and stuff in movies. Like, that's where it's always, like, and every movie does it, right? Like, it's it's such a, like, uh, an accepted thing now. But, like, it, it, it's always been kind of, like, it kind of makes me cock my head a little bit. But here, 
works because it's it's kind of designed to be uncomfortable in that respect. And also the directions they go with it, like they they had to cast an actor who was I I went back and checked. Like she was born in 1970. Like she's 23. Yeah, she was like 23 when this movie came out. But it, her character is under 18. They do make that very clear. Yeah. So, her is like I, seven, I, assumedly like 17. Like, yeah, because because she has a conversation or the argument with her dad at one point where she's like, "I can't wait until I'm 18 so I can be out of here." Yes. You know, and he's just yeah, like, he's like, "What's he's like? What's stopping you? Just go now if you want." Um, but like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely considering some of the content of this movie, like it's definitely good that they had a, uh, an over 18 actress playing this role. Um, that being said, the fact that the character is still underage does make certain aspects of the film kind of skeezy, probably by design. Oh yeah. I think totally by design. Cause I, I, I do, I did feel uncomfortable with a lot of that and I think I'm supposed to. Yeah, and I think having an underage girl as our main character kind of increases the aspect of feeling powerless to this thing happening. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, there, there. She's she's in she's in an environment where she's surrounded pretty much exclusively by adult men. Yes. On this and, mili- on this military base, trying to in one way or another like impose their will on her body. Yeah. Right. Like whether it's her her father like pr- quote like protecting her virginity or like the boy who's interested in her like you know and, and just in like natural like societal ways mind you but like it's a really cool way to bring commentary in right where it's like yeah she's like a young teenage girl and like her you know she's a, she's about to like essentially become someone else and like she's trying to like experience be- womanhood and you know, using, like, your body being stolen from you as a metaphor for that is really cool. Like, it's a really smart idea, and it, and I love it. Like, they're saying, they're using this really cool premise to say something new in this third adaptation of a film, and I, 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 I fucking applaud it. Like, it's, it's exactly what I would want out of, out of, like, the third iteration of this, this film. I think another good aspect about it, too, is that as a teenager, your sense of the world is kind of tenuous as it is. Like you're trying to figure out who you are. And as a teenager, you feel a lot of sense of displacement a lot of the time, especially in her case where, you know, she's forced to up and temporarily move to this military base with her dad, where she doesn't know anybody, you know, and there's nothing really for her there. So she's already feeling sort of like outside of herself and outside of her comfort zone. And so for that to be sort of the setting for this story about not just displacement, but replacement, uh, I think is, is really clever. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Man, that's how you do it, right? Like, you've got, like, all these different themes of each other. And, you know, I think that's why I'm largely okay with the whole, like, mother replacement thing being so, like, direct at the beginning, is that's not all there is, right? Like, there's so many more themes that we just discussed beyond that. And, yeah. And so, it works fine. And I think, too, it kind of, like, it set me up to think that the rest of the movie was going to be about as ham-fisted as that. And it wasn't. So I was quite pleased. Damn. Uh, yo, uh, and, you know, with her, in respect to, like, her, her body as well, and that whole idea, uh, we get to see that in some interesting ways. Also, whenever, like, she's being snatched, or they're attempting to, like, switch her bodies out, like, we see that, ha- that happens to her, what, I think, twice? 
twice. Um, yeah, she almost uh, gets yeah. got twice. And so both times, like, there's like doppelganger versions of her that look like really like fucked up and and creepy. Um, and of course, I like, love... like naked and writhing. You know, and, yeah, like, it's anything but sexualized. Like, yeah, I, th- I thought that was like really well done. I love the first sequence where she's being replaced and she's in a tub in a very like nightmare on Elm Street Elm looking yeah. scenario. Yeah. Um, and the, the tentacles come down from the ceiling. I love the weird like fetus thing above her in the ceiling too. It, yeah. it seemed yeah. like it was all tactical and really uh, well put together. I, I, yeah. I love the pods like, in this movie. Yeah, the 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 practicals in this movie were really impressive. It seemed like a showcase more than the the past two have been. I agree wholeheartedly. That was once again like really pleasing to see because like the the seventies one has fantastic practicals as well, and uh, I was really glad to see them carry on with that. Um, you know, like that that tub sequence. I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, like minor hentai vibes. Uh, minor's the definitely the wrong word there but um, i mean uh, the uh, the the comparison is impossible is impossible to avoid with the tentacles uh but i mean that's that's sort of been a thing since the 50s version is that these pods are plants you know then they put out their tendrils and they get into you and like absorb who you are and transfer it into this uh clone thing yeah yeah I, like, say... I love the tentacles, how they're, like, they kind of look like, um, like, transparent, sort of, like, kind of jellyfish, slug, you know, kind of things, and you can see yeah. that there's, like, you can see that the, it is digesting or, like, moving fluid or, like, part, matter, like, heavy matter, like, inside of them, like, in, like, a digestive tract inside of that, like, really impressive, like, and they still yeah, have, Yeah, they like, look like, uh... What are what do they call what do they call the roots of a fungus? They're not roots. They're like rhizomes or cilia. something like that. Cilia? Um, no, cilia are like what the what cells used some cells used to move. But right, right. Um, yeah, I ain't no biologist. I will say, as much as I really enjoyed like the the pod effects, I kind of wish there were more practical effects in this movie. We get some really awesome sequences in them, and it kind of made me left wanting more. I agree. Um, I I really love the sequence soon after the 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 bathtub sequence with the parents and uh, the dad being replaced, and you know the 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 replacement body uh, is pulled from under the bed. And it yeah. like crumples up, yeah. Um, as they take the tent, the the tendrils off. I thought that effect was so cool. Yeah, I love yeah. that too. And how like uh, when the little boy uh, goes into the the mom's room and sees like the husk of what was his mom, and she just kind of like collapses in on herself, and then like the pod person comes out of the closet. Thought that was really awesome. Yeah. Man, and I will say the the mom, uh, I think it's May Tilly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she uh, she probably gets my favorite performance of the whole movie. She's fantastic. That 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 scene where uh, after 
uh, Marty and the dad very narrowly avoid being transformed and they're like trying to run and Meg Tilly has that little monologue in the living room um, with the where you gonna go? Where are you gonna hide? I Apparently she improvised that. Oh, she I, thought was fucking, I thought it was that's awesome. Crazy. Yeah, that's it was, probably the best uh, sequence of dialogue in the movie. In the entire fucking movie, yeah, it's such oh, a fucking yeah. good performance. Really and just like she's like a, a fucking pod person, like yeah. no makeup, no anything required, just just a weird timbre to her voice. Um, oh yeah, it's so unsettling and like earnestly so. Like it, it really feels like it's not like movie unsettling. It feels like organic and earnest. It, it's so hard to deliver a line like that. I, I yeah. really. I, I will I will say I, I think a lot of the rest of the acting in the movie is pretty wooden, um, which may be intentional to some degree because, you know, there is sort of the question of, like, who has been replaced and who hasn't, you know, and by making everybody sort of have stiff, understated performances, it sort of enhances that, but at the same time... I do think that it is kind of a detriment because it doesn't make any of the characters particularly relatable. But that man, that that Meg Tilly monologue, and that like that's after she's been replaced too. Like she's a pod yeah. person at that point, you know. And she gives like the most emotive, interesting delivery of the entire movie. If we want to talk about really bad acting, that little kid, the little brother. <laughs> atrocious yeah, one of the worst the, I, I, one of the worst know, child actors say, I've seen. at the same time maybe my second favorite scene in the movie is with the kid in the school when uh oh yeah well that has or, yeah that has nothing all, to do like, with, with his performance though but it's oh, a cool yeah, scene it kind of does at the same time just because he is saying so much without saying anything at all that that scene is what sold me on the movie when all yeah the probably me too actually like lift up the they're the same painting but like it's so abstract like it's just like red smears with like black you know lines through it and like each one like it almost looks like it's like it feels like intestines or something it's just it's yeah just it so looks weird. it looks like a nest of worms or roots or something yeah and like and like yeah them have them have the pan across them. pan across the room. And they all have, like, variations of the same picture, and it gets to, like, the little brother, and he has, like, a more colorful, like, bright painting, because he's the only one who hasn't been replaced yet. Yeah, that, I thought, was was really spooky and sinister. I liked that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the idea of, like, that entire room, like, replaced. Yeah, and I think, I think that's just evocative of, like, where this movie works. Like, this movie works so well in... Sto- visual storytelling where yeah. like i honestly think outside of Meg tilly the acting is a bit of a mixed bag in this movie yeah um like uh the the kid isn't great the the girl who plays marty is really attractive but like she uh she can't really do an american accent super well like she kind of falls into a weird accent thing sometimes even some of the smaller characters like uh Arlie Ermey is in this. Totally uh, underutilized. My favorite, my favorite but, actor, Army Ernie. Yeah. Yeah, but he gives like maybe his most subtle performance ever 
Dude, I'm be real. It wasn't until I closed back out of it and I saw like on the Plex thing the cast listed below that I that I did not realize that was our like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, he gives such an understated performance. He never yells. He uh, almost whispers at times. But he does play a general. Yeah. Total waste. Yeah. Total waste of potential. I think. Um. um I think. I think my least favorite performance, though, and you you guys might disagree, but my least favorite performance was probably Forrest Whitaker in this movie. Man, I I was thinking about that, too, when, we were, when I was watching this movie, is I like Forrest Whitaker, but I don't think he's a very good actor, if that makes sense. I think like, he misunderstood I, what the pod people were. He, were. he was acting like they were robots or something coming to get him. And uh, yeah. that's, that's really not what the movie was going for. Like, he was giving a performance for a much campier movie that, yeah. you know, I would have liked to see, but it wasn't this movie. Yeah, it's it's weird that, like, of all the actors in this movie, like, Forrest Whitaker, who probably has, like, the, the highest pedigree, like, is, is the actor who, like, was camping it up the most with the wrong tone? Like, it's weird, right? I mean, he's also a pretty small part of the movie too. He's not like a super important character. Yeah, like yeah, it was it was really interesting. Like he kind of hams it up, and uh, yeah, to to detriment. Yeah, and it's true. Like that scene could have been a lot more. Like what's interesting too is like as much as he's hamming it up, it's not like fun scenery chewing either. No, like, I, I wasn't like super entertained by like that performance as well. I'm yeah, I'm in the same camp. Haha. <laughs> yeah, and he has like maybe the most like dialogue like the, in the scene where he's getting surrounded he just kind of like monologues for a while uh, as he as he fends them off and it's really weird i wouldn't be surprised if some of that was improv as well like him hucking the, the, the amphetamines at them yeah I, I, did, I did really like that he was like using amphetamines because you would get those on a base yeah yeah well yeah. he's all he's like a he's like the doctor on base too so he would have access to all of that yeah and like so, so like I, great ideas there and of course like so he is strung out on amphetamines at that point, so like being a little bit like tweaky is good in that scene, but it just I don't know, it just didn't work for me. I don't know, I wasn't feeling it. I know that's a really Yeah, I think we need I think we need to see more of it if that if you know, for that to really work is you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street to see him like really taking a bunch of amphetamines to try to not sleep so he doesn't get got, you know. Yeah. So there has to be like sort of a descent, but like he's not really the main character or even that important of a character so i get why they didn't show more of that but yeah it, his his whole character and arc felt like sort of half done uh-huh. i think uh his character is probably the most like direct exposition we get our first like direct dialogue about something being up is from him talking about you know, a bunch of patients coming in with uh, psychological symptoms that he thinks might be from the water. Yeah, he's asking the dad, the EPA guy, like, can these chemicals cause you to, like, lose touch with reality or whatever? And, you know, can they cause psychosis? Because he's seeing a lot of people who don't seem like they are who they should be or whatever. And... Like, I think that's kind of interesting, but maybe I would have liked to see a couple of scenes of him, like, talking to somebody in, like, the office and, like, checking checking up on them or whatever and, 
realizing that like, hey, there's something off about this person, so on and so forth. Like that could have been an interesting uh, direction to take it. But yeah, there wasn't really enough time devoted. Yeah, in that respect. I mean, the, the movie is like a tight, a tight ninety. Like yeah, uh, I think it's eighty-seven minutes, so it, it uh, no wasted time. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know what was weird about like uh, Terry Kenny is like his his character uh, Steve as the dad. Like I don't know if it was like the hair, or the glasses, or just the outfit. He looked like I couldn't place if he looked more like a young Stephen King or a young Steven Spielberg. Um, and his character's named Steve, so like it was just yeah, there's a lot of Steve, <laughs> it's just a lot of Steve. He's a total dweeb. I, I, I thought his acting was really not compelling. Yeah. And, and I think well, like I, I think it's almost more offensive than Forrest just because he's in more of film and kind of more required. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I really felt that way about a lot of the acting across the board. And some of it is good for, you know, creating a sense of paranoia, like who's a pod person. But I feel like at the very yeah. least, like our protagonist... And, like, her her dad, you know, should emote more. There should be, there should be uh, you know, something to connect us to them. A quiet, point of relation. Quiet anxiety can be really hard to portray in movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, it takes, it often takes, like, an actor with some real chops to portray, like, that kind of, like, quivering, like, bitterness and fear. Um, that comes with that kind of scenario. And I think when you have actors like just the incredible cast from the 70s one, like really nailing it, like uh, in that respect, it, it makes it even trickier. But, you know, here, like, I mean, it's why often like in, in like amateur work, like, you know, like when people want to like insert drama, the best they can do is just two characters shouting at each other, usually about something they don't need to be shouting. Right. Like, right. Mm-hmm. And here, like, it's not too far from that. Like, there's just a few instances where, like, oh, this could have been played up a little bit more if the actors had just shown how they were scared but still trying to not show emotion. Like, and that's a that's a big ask. That's a tall order for an actor to show, like, okay, you are trying to hide that you are showing emotion because you're trying to get past these people, right? These monsters. But also you're scared underneath them. Right. And that's a lot of layers, that's a lot to show, but, like, man, with the right chops and, like, the right actor, like, that can really, really put my ass in the seat. I, keep I think there's, I think there are a couple of good instances of that. Oh, yeah. um, sure. Like, when, when they have uh, escaped, like, the hospital after Marty almost gets turned into a pod person again, and uh, Tim, the helicopter pilot, saves her, and they're sort of, like, walking around the base trying to pretend that they are part of the collective and uh they run into like her her friend like the goth punk girl or whatever and uh you know she's like oh where are you going and tim is just like oh we've got work to do and like as they're walking off the friend is like oh by the way andy's looking for you the little brother and it's like she walk they walk a few steps away and she like almost gets there but then at the last minute like marty turns around and asks where and that gives her away i thought that was uh, a really uh, nice moment i agree i don't know if it's just because i'm used to it from the the seventies one, but I I thought the the pointing and screaming in this one was a little bit hokey. 
in a way that it's not in the 70s one. Well, I, I don't think know how the biggest problem is, is they keep doing it in this yes. one. Too many uh, times, yeah. And, you know, I like it conceptually as like it, like a literal alarm going off. Yeah, no, I I love I love the idea. But yeah, just the the same visual exactly over and over again just makes it not work super and, well. And the well, was, the sound the sound time. effect the sound effect that they use for it is I think less effective in this one because in the seventies, like oh. the the alarm shriek is like. It really sounds inhuman and like horrifying. Like yeah, well, it's yeah, it is. It, it, it's it's so effective in that one because it's like otherwise these people do look and mostly behave like people, but yeah. then once they've recognized that you're not one of them, they you know point at you and let out this utterly inhuman scream to alert all of the others around the around you that you're not one of them. In this one, it's sort of like you can... It really just sounded like the actor screaming with like yeah. a little bit of vocal distortion right. on and, top and, of and it, the, you know? And the thing about that is, in the 70s one, it, sound, it sounding like a pig is great because pigs are real, Right. But a person sounding like a boar, you know, like roaring or squealing, is monstrous because it's it's a it's a physical contortion. As an auditory effect, it's still grounded, right? It's monstrous, but it's believable. But if you just take like a person going and then you you put like digital filters on it or like you layer it, um, that can be cool in other circumstances. But comparatively, it's just the same. It doesn't. It, 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 it kind of, it, it, it's more of, it's a movie monster sound. You, you know? can still, you can still hear the human, uh, the human voice underneath it. Whereas in the 70s one, there's nothing human about that sound at all. And it's yeah. very obvious they, they foleyed it in, you know. Really Whereas in this one, it does feel like, yeah. If they did, or if that actor just did <laughs> an incredible pig noise. Like no, uh, it's 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 definitely it's definitely yeah, Foley in the seventies one. Gotta um, be, you know, yeah, no, it, it's not. What's so weird about it in this one is like they, uh, you know, Abel Ferrara does a really good job of like cleverly kind of showing how uh, the pod people kind of suss out who's real and who's fake. Otherwise, you know, like. Yeah. There's that great scene where, like, we see the pod people intentionally say very provocative things to try to bait emotions out of people. Like, yeah. uh, the, the, the boyfriend, they try to bait him to have emotions by saying, you know, I fucked your girlfriend and seeing if he responds at all. Um, and I think that stuff is really clever and to you know, to have that, and then on the other hand, have just normal people screeching over and yeah. over again. There's a disconnect there. That's a yeah, a little yeah. underwhelming. You're right. It is. It is really cool how they try and suss out the mode. Yeah, I I like that conceptually. It's like trying to bait these people into showing any sort of emotion. It's like, well, are you really one of us or are you not? Because that's something that I think is cool about like the pod people. In general, like they're a collective, but they're not like a hive mind, right? Like they don't, they don't share a consciousness. 
Much because like, if they did, uh, if they did, it would be it would be too it would be too easy to know like who's not part of that collective consciousness. But they all are uniformly emotionless. So just like, just like these pod boys right here. Yes, we too are uniformly emotionless, famously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we feel nothing. We feel nothing and never enjoy anything we watch. Yeah. Um, couldn't be me. Speaking of not liking things, uh, I want to mention the fucking goofiest moment in this goddamn movie. You'll probably know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> when uh, they get into the helicopter, oh, yeah. and at the last minute, they see... Uh, they see the little boy, Andy, running towards them. It's like, oh, okay, we got Andy. Get in the helicopter. They take off. And once they're up in the air, they re- it's revealed that uh, that Andy is a pod person. And he starts, like, trying to crash the helicopter by, like, pulling on uh, Tim's head or whatever. And so there's a really goofy, like struggle with him in the back of the helicopter. And then uh, Marty throws him out the side and we get just an absolutely awful <laughs> composite shot of him falling towards the ground and doing the scream and point at them as he's falling. And yeah. the kid is not a very good actor. It's fucking goofy, and the compositing is just terrible. It looks so fucking bad. Uh, uh, that- I love how in... In the script, they're writing this up, and they were like, "Yeah, let's Hans Gruber a toddler." Fucking yeah. Awesome. <laughs> like, let's just let's just end this movie by eating a toddler. Cop. Fucking best idea ever. <laughs> like, in a campier it. in a campier movie, sort of like with the Forrest Whitaker thing. In a campier movie, it might have made more sense. Yeah, but like, just, like, just a few years later. Like, just with some slightly better compositing, you know? Like, you could have... And again, a better child actor. Uh, and it's just slightly yeah, better... Yeah, it just, it just looked also, terrible. It's really awkward in the edit, too, because um, right before we get the composite shot, they do... There is a shot, it's really short, but there is a shot where they do huck a doll out of the helicopter. Right. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the idea of, like, hucking a toddler doll, like, out of a helicopter... Like, people had to, like, get up that morning to do that, like, you know? like Yeah, it was pretty funny. It's so fucking good. Um, but, like, the you do see them, like, huck the doll. The problem is the doll goes down is, like, head first and back up, but then it immediately cuts to the child face up, pointing up. And it's like, wait, well, yeah. no, that's not... Con- and it's like, what are you going to do? Like, they're not going to... Like, they only got the one shot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really silly. Like, the kid could have, like, flipped over, but the composite and them on the wire work wouldn't probably wouldn't have allowed for that. So they just have this like kind of awkward continuity thing, which is why I think it cuts so fast to that, which is a bummer because it would have been really nice to just get like a little bit more of just like the toddler doll falling out of the helicopter. Yeah. See, I would have liked it much more if they'd done like a wide shot of like the doll or the mannequin or whatever falling out of the helicopter and they could just, put in the scream sound effect over that shot. Like, even that would have been better. But just, yeah. like, the the fact that, like, the, the, the boy that they've composited into that shot where he's falling is, like, 
he's not actually getting any farther away from the camera. Like, he's obviously not actually falling because, I mean, yeah, it's a child. They can't do that. Whatever. Sure, whatever. So it's just, like, hit what was obviously, like, him standing still. And just as he falls, they just shrink him. It's just so fucking goofy looking. It's ridiculous. It's not good. It's not good. It's amazing. Like I said, if, if the movie had been, if the movie had been campier in general, then, then it would have been one thing. But in a movie that is, like, relatively serious otherwise, um, something like that is absolutely immersion-breaking in, in uh, the worst way. It's just, it's, it's very time capsule, like, the early 90s, just fucking chuck full of bad composite shots of people falling off of like, yeah. There, yeah. there are just, I, like, I mean, we've, you've got Die Hard, you've got Batman, you've got, you name it, it's, you've got it. It looks better in Die Hard, though, than it does here. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely does. Although, you know, I guess. a lot better in Die Hard. Now that, now that I'm thinking about it, like, the movie does kind of take, like, a really hard, campy turn in, like, the last few minutes. Because after they escape, then we get that part where, uh, they decide they're gonna. Yeah. They're going to take revenge, so they use the helicopter to, like, shoot missiles at all of the trucks, leaving with the with the pods in the back and, like, blow them all up, which is hokey as shit, but I did like that. Um, okay. One thing that I, another thing that I did not like, though, to, to jump to the very end is, uh, you know, they, they escape and they're flying up to Atlanta um to some military base or the airport there or whatever and they're being flagged in and the movie kind of ends with this shot of like one of the soldiers or something like on the airfield and he's kind of like backlit so you can't really see his face so it's supposed to sort of be like you know has the invasion spread this far already like are they like are these soldiers already taken too but what i really hate is that they add meg tilly's like great monologue again over that shot but like distorted like they just they just made like her voice deeper how did y'all feel about that i thought i thought that was a terrible decision <laughs> yeah it's a little awkward yeah yeah. It's weird. I mean, like we said earlier, that scene is probably the best scene in the movie. Right. And it's clear that they were trying to milk it for all it's worth. <laughs> but right, it but it feels really it feels work. cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been one thing if they just like had her voiceover, but the fact that they like digitally distorted it like that that was what really made it not work for me like if they're just gonna have the lines there again okay you know maybe that that would have been one thing but the fact that they had to make it like deep spooky voice when her like delivery is already so good and so sinister like that was a confusing decision to me yeah i agree it it didn't feel like it fit with the rest of the movie especially no. in that in that section. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, like, I think this movie did a really great job of kind of executing the, the premise of body snatchers really well, while giving it kind of an original take. I'm, I'm really, I was pleasantly surprised, um, with, uh, Abel Ferrara, his kind of take on it. 
because you know he's known for really gritty kind of sleazy crime movies and uh this feels like it would be out of his wheelhouse but if at the same time he takes some of his sensibilities and brings it to this kind of remake in a really fresh way in kind of the the sexuality of it and uh the grittiness i guess yeah abel ferrara's got some horror chops have y'all ever seen uh i want to say it's called the addiction it's another movie he did in the 90s i want to say in like 94 95 yeah. something like that yeah i've heard about it i haven't gotten around to it though is it good it's, have you seen it's it? been a it's been a while since i've seen it but yeah i remember liking it. it's basically if my memory serves correctly like it's it's a um it's a his take on a vampire movie but the vampire doesn't really have any like super like your your typical supernatural vampire powers just like an a need to drink blood so he treats it as like a drug addiction um mm. and it's 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 good i haven't seen it in a long time but i remember liking it a lot uh when i saw it he he can abel ferrara can can do some some spooky stuff you yeah. have to check well, that one out that sounds great Shall we write this one, boys? Yeah, I'm just I'm looking through Abel Ferrara's right now. See that he did the original Bad Lieutenant? Oh, yeah. yeah. Great movie. Harvey Keitel is awesome. Okay, okay. Did, did he do Port of Call? No, no that's that was uh, Herzog. Oh. Hell yeah, okay. It looks like he also did The Gladiator. <laughs> Lol, just getting the TV movie. Um, and then... He did oh. King of New York, which is one of my... Uh, Favorite Christopher Walken movies. King of New York slaps. Wow. Yeah, even, that's even an awesome movie. <laughs> um, Definitely then, more than the prophecy. And then he, this, he did he did something else in 1976 called The Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. <laughs> now that's that's one that I have not seen. Uh, Wait, also in parentheses it says next to it as Jimmy Boy L. Oh, he did it under He's, a fake name. Do it under okay. a fake name. Um, it might be a, yeah, it might be an adult. Yeah, story. well, That's this right. is the the first Abel Ferrara movie we've covered, but hopefully it's not the last. I know he did this movie Miss Forty Five, which is like a a rape revenge movie in sleazy New York, and that movie rules. And I would love to cover it at some point. And from the sound of it, the addiction would be great to cover. The addiction would be well. is definitely a podcast movie for sure. Well, in 2022, uh, he made a movie called Padre Pio, so maybe we can watch that. that yeah, that is not out yet. It is with uh, I want to say Shia LaBeouf. I've been hearing Sweet. a lot of stuff about that because um, it's apparently made Shia LaBeouf convert to Catholicism. What? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Padre Pio. Um, well, yeah, let's uh let's rate Body Snatchers. Um I I liked this movie. Um I I can't say that I really liked it as much as the 70s version or even the 50s version if I'm being 100% honest, but the 70s one is like such a fucking high bar for me. It's like one of my favorite horror films of all time. But um yeah, I mean, Abel Ferrara is a great director. This is a really cool take on the same story. It's fresh and interesting. 
Um, a lot of really great practical effects. Some not great acting um, and a few kind of like hokey things that sort of took me out of it. I'm going to give it a solid three and a half out of five. It's it's definitely a good movie, but um, not my favorite adaptation of this story. I'm going to mirror that three and a half. I think this movie is really solidly executed. Um, it's very simple and straightforward and kind of no nonsense in a way that I really appreciate. And like I said before, it tells so much of its story visually, which uh, is really nice rather than getting a bunch of exposition dumps. Um, The practical effects are really awesome too. Um, Like you said, the acting leaves a little to be desired, and uh, I wish there were more practical effects. So, yeah, it's it's really worth checking out, though. I will say, it's not quite as good as the other two, but it's a really solid entry. Yeah. It fits in the world. And, you know, when it comes to how to do a remake, I think this is a perfect, like, this is a really nice example. You know, like, set it, same world, somewhere else. Give me a different story in all of that, where you can still pay homage. And uh, it, it's it's really gratifying, and it's rare to see done, and it's nice. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna give it I think a nice strong four. Uh, like pretty solid, pretty solid movie. Had a nice time watching it. Definitely much better than I was expecting going in. Um, and I also just noticed that uh, Gabrielle Anwar, uh, the same year was also Queen Anne in the Three Musketeers movie, which is very interesting. So she she did two. Two big blockbusters that year. Yeah, I think I read that this movie was like shot in like ninety or ninety one, and it, and they ended up holding on to it for a couple of years before releasing it because uh, they were the the studio was worried about it having to compete with some other movie they were putting out. I can't remember for exactly. sure, um, but uh, yeah. Well, that will I, give Body Snatchers an average of three point seven out of five pods. So check it out. Uh, just a side note on what you were saying earlier, Keith. I was actually watching uh, the the Ebert and Siskel review on this movie on YouTube before the podcast, and they were saying that it was doing like a test screening on like in like two theaters in Texas at the time, and they were saying if it didn't perform well, they would just put it straight to video. Wow. Which is uh, such a shame, man. Because, uh, like, I feel like even with our complaints about parts of this movie, it feels like a movie that should have definitely been, been seen on the big screen. Yeah, was it, did it underperform and go straight to video? I could have sworn I, that it did have a theatrical release. It might have. I don't know for sure. Um, I hope it did. I on that same note, like I, I think I remember reading as well that this was uh, Ebert's favorite adaptation of the story, which I think is interesting. Yeah, yeah. That I, is I, I, dis- I disagree with Ebert, but uh, <laughs> I, I do think that uh, um, that it's interesting. This is his favorite, and like it definitely has a lot of merits. Um, well, next week is uh, part two of our podiversary and we will be covering the final retelling of this story we'll be covering 2007's the invasion 
uh, starring Nicole Kidman. Is that right? Nicole yeah. Kidman and, and Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig himself the bondman did somebody noteworthy direct that one so um as a matter of fact yes it was originally written by and directed by someone else and then they fired them if i remember here i heard this this was hearsay so i might getting these facts somewhat wrong but they ended up getting rid of them and hiring on the wakowskis to well fix the script so get ready well, fix the script it's, is one thing i see it's yeah, directed it's, by someone called oliver hirschbeigel who, who uh directed the movie downfall the the hitler oh the the bruno gans hitler movie yeah. okay interesting okay <laughs> all right interesting but yeah apparently that. like yeah the the they brought on the wachowskis to, to to script doctor this movie so hmm we shall see. Uh, yeah. That'll be it next week. Come back for the invasion. This this week we talked about body snatchers. Next week the invasion. And then snatch um, by Guy Ritchie after that. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That's not a horror movie. I don't know. He feeds them to pigs. That's pretty scary. I'm I'm pretty scared of the British. Yeah. Got yeah, the, the British are pretty scary. That's yeah, true. Especially now that they're in mourning. Mm, yeah. Rest in piss, Queen Elizabeth II. We're recording this way out of order. She she just died when we recorded this. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, well, that uh, will bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show and would like to give us a podiversary gift, oh, the best way you can Unless do you're that. a fan of the Queen, and then I can kind of understand. We, we just Whatever. We're, this is an American podcast. Why do I give a shit about the fucking Queen of England? There you go. Um, but yeah, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's a, a, a simple and easy way to show your appreciation. But if you want to do even more than that, then you can uh, support us at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam Simon and Zach Confer. Uh, we love and appreciate you guys, especially... On the day of our five-year anniversary, thank you. Uh, so thank you, guys. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and at Letterbox.com/slash/PodPeoplePod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. I am on Twitter at Some Spooky Snake and also Twitch.tv/slash Some Spooky Snake. Spooky Saturday will be happening at some point. We're recording this all out of order. This comes out in October. I don't know when that's going to be, but keep an eye Spooky on our Twitter. Saturday You'll find out. has happened and uh, will happen again. It has happened a couple of times and will <laughs> continue to happen at least a couple more times. So uh, <laughs> twitch.tv slash Um I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And you can find me dying in my apartment slowly of COVID. Uh, yeah, we didn't mention that. Yeah, uh, I have COVID. Hooray. <laughs> I, think I, I think I also have COVID. Cleve and Keith are powering through this. We're recording remotely tonight because oh, everyone but me has COVID. Maybe. I, I don't have know if Keith has it. Yeah, avoided. Yeah, I gotta take it. I gotta take a test tomorrow, but I'm pretty sure I. I'm pretty sure I have it. I don't know what else this would be. But uh, since we're recording out of order, we might still have COVID for the next episode that we record, which will come out several weeks before this one. So the chronology is going to be really interesting. 
uh, for the <laughs> listeners. I've just been trying to mute myself whenever I cough, so hopefully that hasn't been... Yeah, I've been doing like, the same. It'll uh, seem like you guys have a second wave of COVID. Yeah, we'll have COVID, and then it goes away, and then we suddenly have it again, but it was actually the same COVID. <laughs> oh my god, is that long COVID? Is- oh god, about. I don't know. Um, so, but, yeah, well, maybe by the, the next episode, we will not have COVID, probably. Hopefully, yeah. oh, hopefully uh, you guys don't. Yeah. For real, though, you can find uh, my work, uh, you can find, uh, look up at Stairs Back, you can see our cool game, um, and then you can also see my work on DreadXP.com and all the cool games there. Um, uh, we've got, got all sorts of cool stuff. We've got Spookware coming out with a new chapter. We've got... The Mortuary Assistant still being fucking awesome. We've got new updates for Dread Delusion. And uh, we announced recently Sucker for Love 2, a date to die for, which looks fucking awesome. So, uh, yeah, get hyped for all of that. There's so many great, cool games that, you know, we're working on there. Oh, we announced Outsiders recently. I'm art directing on that. There's there's a lot of cool stuff. So go, go check out all our cool things. Well... Even though we've been replaced by weird, spooky space aliens, we can never replace you, the fans, in our hearts. So, uh, good night. Bye. Gonna hide. Nowhere.